You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we hear this morning John the Baptist at his best. He's in the wilderness, surrounded by crowds of sinners, still wet with the forgiving Jordan River water in their hair. And he's there preaching repentance and preparing the way from the for the Lord and defending his office to the accusers sent from Jerusalem and at last preaching this most wonderful sermon behold there's God's lamb who takes away the world's sin but let's try to let John the Baptist surprise us this morning imagine that you're there in the crowd and you're listening to John defend himself and defend his preaching and defend his baptism to the priests sent from the Pharisees in Jerusalem. And you're hearing him quote the Old Testament, especially the portions of Isaiah that talk about the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare prepare the way for the Lord. And then almost in the middle of one of his sentences, something behind you, coming along behind the crowd, catches John's attention, and his eyes flash with recognition. And he points behind you, and he says, look, There's God's Lamb who carries away the world's sins. Now, before you turn around to look, what is it that you expect to see? What's going to be standing there? What's going to be at the other end of John's pointing finger? I think, and this just could be because I'm a little bit simple. In fact, when I turn around, I expect to see a lamb there, or a goat, or a ram, or some sort of animal walking over the rocky hill down there by the Jordan River. But when we turn around to look, we see a man, an ordinary-looking fellow, 30 years old, with determination on his face to be baptized by this prophet, John. You see Jesus. Now, how is it that this man is called a lamb? What does this mean? The answer to this question is, is found in the unfolding of one of the greatest and most wonderful mysteries of the Old Testament. And we'll trace it through this morning. Let's begin with Cain and Abel. The second generation of humanity, the the world still had that new world smell to it with Cain and Abel. And Cain was the older, Abel the younger, and Cain had the family business. Like Adam before him, Cain was a farmer. Abel, on the other hand, had the humble work of being out in the fields as the shepherd. Now, I wonder already at this point why you need a shepherd. I mean, why were they raising animals? They were not authorized, we were not authorized to eat meat until after the flood of Noah. I suppose it could have been for the wool or food or maybe milk, but but at least we know that they were raising animals for the sacrifice. They were raising animals for worship. So it's time for Cain and Abel to worship God. And they both bring an offering. Cain brings the offering of his own work, the fruit of the field. The offering that fits the dignity of his high office as a farmer. Abel, on the other hand, brings the sacrifice from the herd, an animal with the life and the blood. An animal like the one that the Lord had sacrificed, killed in the garden, to clothe Adam and Eve, their parents. Abel doesn't come with pride. 
but in faith, trusting that the Lord would accept this sacrifice. Abel brings the Lamb of God. And Abel does right. God accepts this sacrifice that Abel made in faith, and he rejects the sacrifice of Cain. And we know how it unfolds. Cain takes up a stone and murders his brother so that the blood of Abel and the blood of the sacrifice are all mixed together in the ground. But there, still smoldering on the altar, was the Lamb of God, sacrificed by Abel. And his faith, Abel's faith in this sacrifice, sustained him through death, and he was carried that day by the Lord's angels to heaven. The Lamb of God comes up again in Egypt. Remember how the people had multiplied, and there were millions of Israelites, so many uh, that it made Pharaoh afraid, and he made them all slaves, and they were building the palaces for the Pharaohs, maybe even the pyramids, and they were crying out to the Lord for rescue. So the Lord sends Moses to Pharaoh with his demands. Let my people go. Remember, in fact, it's even better in the text. Uh, Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go into the wilderness so that they may worship me. But Pharaoh refuses, so the ten plagues come along. The water turns to blood. There's the frogs and the flies and the fiery hail and the locust and the darkness. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened, so the severest judgment of all is coming. The death of all the firstborn. It's a tremendous a tremendous punishment. And the Lord is going to go through a lot of work to, to get the people ready for this last plague to make sure that it doesn't come to them, to make sure that the angel of death doesn't come into their own homes. So the Lord commands them to prepare a certain meal, bread without, without leaven, various different spices. They're supposed to eat the meal packed and ready to go. And most importantly, there's supposed to be a lamb slaughtered, roasted, eaten. And the blood of that lamb is to be put on the doors across the top and on the posts so that when the angel of death comes through Egypt to do his work and to shed the blood of the firstborn, he sees the blood of the lamb already on the home and he would pass by and go to the next house. Now can you imagine that night The Scriptures say that there was wailing that went up all throughout Egypt as the Egyptians' mothers and fathers found the bodies of their firstborn dead in their beds. And here the Israelites are, huddled in their home, and they can hear the screams rising up all around them in the distance and getting closer, and they know that the angel of death is on the march, just like Moses had warned them he would be. This is a terrifying thing to think, that these screams are getting louder, and they hear the mourning of their neighbors, and it's down the block, and then it's across the street, and then it's right next door, and mom and dad are there holding on to their old, oldest boy, their fear, that the, knowing that the angel of death is right outside of their own home. But it's mixing with faith as they realize that the only thing standing between this child and the destruction of death is the blood on the door. The blood of the Lamb of God. But the blood is enough. And the angel passes over. And they are kept alive. Every year, on the 15th day of the month of Nisan, the Israelites would go and eat a Lamb of God and remember how the Lord spared them in Egypt. 
how he delivered them. How he brought them out of that place of slavery and through the Red Sea and back to the mountain where Moses had found the burning bush, but now the entire mountain is covered with smoke and fire and Moses goes up onto this Mount Sinai and we remember that the main thing that happened there was the giving of the Ten Commandments, but... But most of the time that Moses was on that mountain, God was giving him instructions for worship for the tabernacle and the priests and the sacrifices. And here again, we hear about God's lamb. The people were to bring a lamb for sacrifice every morning and every evening in the temple. Whenever anybody sinned, they were supposed to bring into the temple a lamb to offer for a trespass offering. And most especially, once a year on the Day of Atonement, God instructed that a lamb, two lambs, were to be brought forth for a particular liturgy appointed by God. Now, we've talked about the uniqueness of this day, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and some of the things that it signifies. That was the only day in the entire year that anybody would go into the Holy of Holies. The high priest would go in there twice, once for his own sin with the blood of the bull, and then secondly with the blood of of a lamb to place on the Ark of the Covenant. It went, it went like this. There was two lambs, uh, goats, that were appointed, and they were brought to the front of the tabernacle or the front door of the temple, and they, were cast, they would cast lots over them, and one would be chosen as the Lord's lamb, and the other would be chosen as the scapegoat. And the one who was the Lord's lamb would be sacrificed there on the altar, and that blood would be brought in and placed on the Ark of the Covenant for the sins of the people. And then the other one, God's lamb, would be, the priest would take, uh, would take that lamb and would put his hands on it and would speak over that lamb all of the sins of the people. It's, it's an amazing sort of thing to imagine. This descendant of Aaron in his, in his golden vestments and in his sacred uh, hat with the name of the Lord written on it, coming out in, uh, w- with all of these things uh, it, all out amongst the people and putting his hands on the lamb and speaking out loud all of the people's sins. Tradition tells us that when this would happen, all the people would hear the Lord's name whenever it was spoken and they would bow at the name of the Lord. And also this, that when the priest was speaking the sins of the people out loud, the people were to be confessing their own sins in private. Now, can you imagine being there? Being in the crowd of people, in the courtyard of the tabernacle, as the high priest is there listing all of the sins of the people, and your own conscience is starting to remind you of all the things that you've done wrong, of all the ways that you've broken God's law, of all of the ways that you've brought shame to the Lord's name, or sinned against His commandments, and you're making confession as the priest stands there with the hands on this Lamb of God. And when it's done, the Lamb was driven out of the court, out of the temple, out of the courtyard, out of the city, and in fact, out into the wilderness to a cliff and pushed over the cliff. Now imagine that, standing there, looking over the edge of the cliff, thinking, there goes my sin. That poor lamb, who didn't do anything wrong, got what should have happened to me. Same thing with the sacrifice in the temple. That poor lamb was killed, his blood put in a bowl and on the seat of God, and it was burned on the altar. It should have been me. 
The same at the Passover. The angel came looking for my blood, but saw the blood of God's Lamb and skipped over me. The Lord accepts the death of another in place of sinners. The Lord accepts the death of another in place of you and in place of me. Now, that is the preaching of the Old Testament sacrifices, and that is the theology behind this name, the Lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist is preaching for you. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he points at Jesus. Just like every sacrifice of the Old Testament, from Abel to the last lamb burnt in the temple before it was destroyed, all of them pointed to Jesus because Jesus bears your sins. Jesus carries your sorrows. By His stripes, that is, by the marks of the whip on His back, you are healed. Jesus goes to the cross. God's Lamb led to be sacrificed. And He goes willingly out of love for you. It should be you. It should be me. We're sinners. And we know it. Our consciences remind us all the time that we should be the one driven out into the wilderness and pushed over the cliff. That we should be the ones that would be burned up in God's wrath. That we should be the ones who should be stripped and nailed to the cross and forsaken by God and smitten by Him. It should be you. But it's not. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And dear saints, this is just how God wants it to be. So remember, standing there in the crowds at the Jordan River listening to John the Baptist preach, remember when that someone walking behind caught his attention and he pointed behind you and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And remember, turning to look and see at the end of his pointing finger, there is Jesus, your sin-bearer, your Savior, God's Lamb, for you. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.